Now today, I'm going to talk about something that is really difficult. I'm going to, I'm going to share some ideas about where we are right now in our cultural moment regarding race relations. And this is a difficult subject. I, I don't pretend to be any expert. I am not. I, in fact, I feel quite inadequate to speak on this subject at all. And that's why, um, you know, this week, I wanted us to, to speak together, to join our voices, and I wanted other people's voices to be heard. And that's why I gathered a bunch of people in a prayer meeting on Thursday night, and we just started to dig in. And uh, I'm telling you, it was so meaningful. And really, really all week long, I've just been on the verge of tears as I'm watching what's unfolding and the woundedness and the hurt and the anger and the difficulty that we're all struggling with and really triggered by the death of George Floyd by the hand of a police officer. But that's, it wasn't just George Floyd, it was a string of killings by police officers, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and, and there's, you know, this, this thing is simmering under the surface and now it's boiling over and we're, I just think we have such a responsibility as a church. And so prayer isn't all we should do, but I just think it's the first thing we ought to do. And so we gathered on Thursday night, and if you missed it, I want you to get a sense, a little taste of what it was like. So let's watch this together. I've been on the verge of tears all week because every time I talk about this, I can't, I can't keep it in. And it's because I think I'm just feeling the heart of Jesus for people. I feel the hurt. I feel the struggle. I feel the anger. And I think tonight we've had a hurt in our body. Yeah. In the body of Christ, there, there has been something that has been hurt. But this is not the first time. Mm, that's right. This is not the first time that this may be this this may be one of the first times that we've acknowledged the hurt and the pain in our body, in the body of Christ, to our brothers and our sisters. Don't let any of us sit on our hands, but instead let the church be unified and vocal to oppose racism, oppression, and division. Help us to reflect your light in this dark world by standing up for those who are marginalized and cast down and cast aside. Help us to set aside our differences, Lord God, and find common ground. I speak against and I come against every system of injustice in our families, in our homes, in our cities, in our states. I break down those strongholds and say yes, no Lord. more in the name of Jesus. Yes, name of Jesus. I declare that, Father, right yes, now, Lord. we choose to stand with you. We choose to partner with yes, you. Yes, God, turn from our wicked ways. Come, Lord God, yes, and Lord. wipe out this racism. Yes, Lord. Lord God, yes, come Lord. out and wipe out this bitterness and anger, yes, Lord God. God. Yes, Lord. Lord God, the systematic racism, Lord yes, God, Lord. take it all away. We want to go, Lord God, where you would send us, Lord, to be 
the good Samaritan to our neighbors, Father, to be the people, Lord God, that, that, that are, see other people, Lord God, not the way that uh, we see through the eyes of color, Lord God. The only color we should see, Lord God, is red, which is the blood of Jesus, Lord God, which covers all of us, Father God. Lord God, everyone is our neighbor. All humanity is our neighbor, Lord God. Jesus. We call out and lift up those that are in law enforcement, yes, Father Lord. God. Yes, Lord. Heavenly Father, remind us daily of that moment yes. <laughs> that yes, we God. raised our hand. Yes. <laughs> Before you. <laughs> Thank you, God. And our families. And we swore that oath to serve. Jesus. Jesus. To serve. <laughs> to serve our community. Yes, God. Let us not forget and to protect our community. So God, in the name of Jesus, across this region, as a church family, we ask you to investigate us. Investigate us, Lord. Yeah. To peel back the layers yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. of who we think we are. Yes, Lord. And look deep into our hearts yes. and our lives and our minds. I repent of my bias. I repent of my criticism. I repent of my judgment. I repent and I want no more of it. God, I change my mind and I change my way. Lord, change hearts, yes. mend relationships, bring understanding and conversation and unite your people. Yes, Lord. We speak against this racial division that exists within your body. Unite the people under the banner and the name of Jesus. Oh, God. Thank you. Amen. Yes, we agree. We agree. We say yes. Every time I see that, it stirs me again. I am moved to tears by others' tears which is the position we should all be in. Compassion, love, care, understanding. These are the things that we all have to embrace as we come together as a church. And I confess to you as your pastor, I don't think I really knew what I was getting into when I named the church One Chapel based on John 17 in Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed in this, in this moment right before he went to the cross. He was praying for his own disciples. And then, but he also prays for us, and I want to read it together just to kind of give us context for where I'm going to go here in this message. John 17, 20 through 23, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, by the way praying for his own disciples, praying for those who would believe, that's us, that all of them may be one, verse 21 says, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world would believe you have sent me. Notice Jesus isn't just praying for unity so everybody can get along, so everybody can be nice, so, so we can all just kind of go the same direction. No, he's, it's bigger than that. There is a strategic evangelistic evangelistic direction that Jesus is praying towards. He's actually praying that we'll be one because there's, a, there's an evangelism component to unity. And so he prays, he says, so that they will believe, the world will believe that you sent me. Because in our culture right now, 
when we see people agreeing on anything. It's a miracle. This is who we're supposed to be. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a, this is a journey. This is a long process we're into here, One Chapel, because this is not easy. Complete unity to understand how loved we are by the Father, to convince each other how much love there is from Him and through us to one another. As you've already heard me say a few times, diversity is the power behind unity. It's not that miraculous for people who all agree on the same foods and the same music and going to the same places and believe in the same ideas. That's, that's not miraculous. What is miraculous is when people get together from different socioeconomic levels, classes, different political persuasions and different ways of thinking and they come, under, come together under the banner of Jesus. That's the miracle. I want to talk with you about that today because it's so easy to be divided. It's so easy to be divided socially, economically, politically, and yes, racially. And the vast majority of the American church in our time has been more discipled by media news outlets and political parties than they have been by the ways of Jesus. I really believe that. I'm deeply concerned about it. And it's really about, it's really about ratios. I mean, it's good to be informed. It's good to read. It's, it's good to do research, but it's the ratio of, of the information that goes into us that's really the problem. Because when you think about it, how many hours a week do you spend listening to talk radio or cable news or looking at YouTube or, or Facebook and, and looking at all the stuff that people are saying and trying to decide what you believe in this way rather than the amount of hours you and I spend praying, studying the scripture, encouraging one another, challenging one another, having meaningful conversations based on who we are as God's people. It's a good thing to evaluate that. Think about the ratios. Think about how much each one happens and what your mind is really being discipled by, what your heart is really gravitating towards. And I, I fear that we are listening too much to the commentators and the sports and entertainment personalities instead of Jesus and one another as we wrestle as we wrestle for love and healing and unity. Because it is a wrestling match. It's not easy. And when we listen to these other voices instead of tune in to the voice of Jesus, as a result, we end up arguing the finer points of our own political persuasion. We end up fighting our own point of view instead of fighting for healing and unity. We don't listen enough, either because we're convinced, so convinced of our own worldview that we're unaware that our worldview is really narrow and doesn't encompass others, 
and their worldview, or we're busy working, so busy working and worrying about our own American dream that we just don't have time to really get into that. <laughs> we forget we're the Church of Jesus Christ called to reconciliation as a foundational idea and a fundamental calling. And I want to read this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. It says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I want you to understand how significant that sentence is. We don't think about, Paul says, we don't think about anybody from a worldly point of view. We only think of them through a heavenly point of view. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Maybe just thought of Christ as a, some idea out there, a group of people. Jesus freaks or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, like, he's like, he's like, we once regarded Christ in this way, but there, but no, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone has had the transformation of Christ coming into their life, their heart completely changed, renewed, regenerated. He says the new has new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. But then he goes on to say something so important, so profound. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What a miracle. That's the gospel. Recon reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed to us, Paul says, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Listen, God is reconciling the world to himself, but he's also reconciling humanity to each other. He's reconciling our lives together and he starts with his people. He begins with his church. He wants us to reconcile with each other the brokenness that's already in existence in our humanity. But because we belong to Christ, we have received a message and that message is people must be reconciled both to God and to one another. He's putting people back together. He's forming and reforming his church. Listen, I said it last time I spoke here that we don't know what God is trying to accomplish with what we've been through in this pandemic. Who knew that was going to lead to this moment where we would have to look deeply into our own hearts and our own souls about how to engage in this cultural conversation and race relationships and the difficulty of the, 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 all the concepts and the struggle of government and politics and excessive force and our role and what we should do. God's desire is that we reconcile with him and each other. And at the intersection of racial, racial reconciliation, The people of God should speak. The people of God should act. It's at this intersection of racial reconciliation that 
is so important for us to understand. We stand in this moment. Now, sadly, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Our brief history, our brief American history as a church has been just the opposite. We're not, we're, we haven't been very good at this process. In fact, we've contributed to the opposite. We've contributed to a division over and over again. You've probably heard it said that Sunday morning, the Sunday morning hour is one of the most segregated in our American culture. And it's true. There's a there's been a division in our church, church, the big C church in American history over and over and over again. But, it's, but at this moment, I want you to consider the fact that you belong to Jesus and the fact that you belong to this church. You belong to one chapel. And you understand what our namesake means. And you understand that you have received a message that you must engage in, no matter where you come from. What is the church's role? Let's try to wrestle with that today. What is our role in the current conversation and dialogue? Well, just a cursory view of a few scriptures are helpful. Psalm 68, 4 through 6, one of the foundational scriptures of one chapel. It says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. What's the big fuss about what's the rejoicing and the singing all about here it is verse 5 a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling which means wherever widows are defended and wherever orphans are cared for that's where God's presence is God's presence is the place where people are lifted up protected defended Verse 6, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. He leads them out. Listen, what we're called to as a church is to see people born into a family and see them belonging. No matter where they've come from and no matter what has happened to them or how they've been hurt. Psalm 82, 3 through 4 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 103.6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. God is the one working for righteousness and justice for every person who's oppressed. And I think we have to come to grips with the fact that that's not just a spiritual idea. It has real repercussions in our real world. Psalm 146, 7 through 8 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, I know that you've seen these passages. These are the hashtag scriptures. You've seen them scrolling through your Instagram feed. You've seen them on Facebook. 
And there is a sense and a tendency to kind of just bypass them and to forget that this is a deeply meaningful idea across the story of the Bible. In fact, you have to settle that the Bible was not written to prosperous people. It was written to those who were oppressed. The Bible's story is really written to people who struggled under the burden of someone's hand pressing down on them. You got to understand, God's people were not the people who had it all. God's people were the ones who were struggling in the world that God was lifting up and he was helping them make their way. Amos 5, 21 through 24, this is a really terrible period in the life of the people of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. And Amos the prophet comes on like gangbusters and he starts to really pinpoint what's wrong. And he's speaking from, you know, his participation in Judah, which was the smaller kingdom, and he's speaking towards Israel. God called him to speak towards the larger superpower of Israel. He's, and, and he's quoting what God is saying to this group of people who have forgotten who they are, who have forgotten what they, where they came from. And he says, I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assembly, assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away from, with your, the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. And the reason he's saying all this, and you can read through the book of Amos, which I encourage you to do, is because it wasn't just that they were sinful. It wasn't just the nation of Israel being sinful. It was that they were not standing up for those who were being abused. They were not standing for justice, which is why the next verse is so profound. Verse 24, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. He's saying, look, I don't care how good your worship services are. If you don't have an understanding of how to rescue people from injustice and oppression, Isaiah 117 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7 says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Luke 4, 16 through 19, in case you're worried that all these are Old Testament scriptures and there's no New Testament. No, Jesus himself stood up in a synagogue, opened the scroll to Isaiah and said these words. I'll start in verse 16. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went in the synagogue and as was his custom, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
One of the root meanings of reconciliation is to restore favor. Jesus was interested in restoring favor, setting oppressed free, sight for the blind. He wasn't just talking about spiritual blindness. Not just, we have a tendency to kind of put all these things in context because we tend to separate our spiritual life from our, our, our normal life, right? But it's all spiritual and our spiritual life must have repercussions in the real world. And I want to say a couple of things about this. One more scripture. One more scripture from Micah 6, 8, another minor prophet. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now I want you to look at these three things. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. These are the, these are the keys to what I'm going to share with you here in a moment. About our church, about me personally. I want you to notice that some people, they love justice and try to act humble. I want you to notice that some people tolerate mercy, but don't love it deeply. I want you to notice that others, they want to walk, they want to march, or they want to protest, but they don't walk humbly with God. There's a humility that I think we're entering into as a church. A deep love and compassion that must live in our hearts. Mercy that must be poured out as part of the current cultural discussion we're having on race. I just want to challenge you in these ideas. And I know some of you, you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, Pastor Ross has drunk the Kool-Aid of whatever you're, you're thinking I'm talking about. And you're thinking from an American perspective rather than a perspective of Jesus. And I just want to ask you, some of you are asking, Do, don't I have the right to free speech? Like, don't, don't I have the right? Yes, absolutely. As an American, you have the right to free speech and the right to protest, and, and several other rights. But as a Christian, you don't have the right to say anything you want. I believe the scriptures teach us that we are a citizen of heaven, a pilgrim on a journey to our home and that we answer to a higher authority than our own citizenship wherever we live. And so it's a tricky thing. There's tension there. You've got to realize there's tension because of what you're called to be, what you're called to do. And some of you might be thinking, don't you know, <laughs> Pastor Ross, okay, don't you know my views are based on the Bible? I would just ask you to be careful. Are you sure that your perspective is truly a biblical concept and not just an emphasis on some portion of Scripture? Because here's the problem. The Bible's been used over and over again to beat people down, to separate, used and misused many times throughout our own history and the history of the world. We need to be so careful. 
Some of you are thinking, oh, Pastor Ross, I know. We've been going on this for a couple weeks now, and it's just in the news every day. Aren't we, like, aren't we already past this? Won't this just, like, pass? Well, frankly, no. And there are reasons why we're not past this. We're, there are reasons why we can't seem to get past it. One of them is our history. Who we are as Americans and our history. It's a reality. Do you realize it's only 160 years? 160 years ago that black people were in chains, literally. That's not very long. That's old enough for my great-grandma to have overlapped with that time period. We have to understand this, this thing has history, trauma, real trauma from personal experiences, people's personal experiences and stories that just won't and don't go away. They're not going to go away. And, and just let me say this, humanity... <laughs> We're all sinful, like, like, like we're all we, all, we all have this tendency. Humanity is going to have to wrestle with sin and evil, and it's going to happen that way until Jesus returns. If you're looking for the, the perfect utopia, it's heaven. We're going to have to walk through some things and be God's people bringing heaven to earth as we're going through this process of our lives in our, in our modern day and you, can't, and you can't act like people aren't hurt because you think they should be over it. Now, here we have a rule in our house. I got five kids. I've dealt a lot with diplomacy. <laughs> I've dealt a lot with politics in my own house. And we have this rule that's emerged because we had this thing happening over and over again. Some, someone would hit another person, their brother or sister, and then that person would cry or be upset or be angry and fight back. And then, then this, this phrase would always be said, oh, that doesn't hurt. We have a parsley rule that emerged out of all that stuff. Oh, that doesn't hurt. You need to get, I didn't, barely touched him, right? That's how it happens. We got four boys in our house. I barely touched him. Nope. The rule is you don't get to determine what's hurtful for another person. You don't get to determine whether or not they feel hurt or pain. That there's a, there may be, there may be an overreaction there, but it's not really your job to determine whether or not they're hurt or they've been hurt. And so I think, I think we're struggling with this in our country. Some of you are thinking in your heads, don't you realize that the other side the other side of this argument, whatever side of the argument you're on, is being, they're being duped and deceived by their own political party. Many of you think about that deeply. But let me, let me just challenge you. Both political parties appeal to the Bible. You ever notice that? Both political parties in our system, we, it's a two-party system. It's, it, it's difficult. It's challenging on so many levels. But they both appeal to the Bible just on different subjects. So don't be fooled into thinking that a political party is the solution. Don't be don't be fooled into thinking that a candidate is the hope that we can sort of, will fix everything. Don't be confused. Now you should vote. Please don't misunderstand me. Get informed. Work even in, in, a, in a way that is helpful to the political process. 
but never forget that Jesus is the only solution. And you've got to work with him and collaborate with him regardless of which political party you're working from. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, we all, I don't know if they're Christians. Well, interestingly enough, that's not your job either. What you and I have to do is decide that we're going to be the people of God and we're going to have honest and real conversations and work together to see God do something in our time. I want to share with you my response to some of these things that I've, that I've said. Lest you think that I'm in judgment or that I have some kind of, you know, ax to grind. As I said at the top, I don't feel even really very qualified to talk about this as a white pastor in our city. But the, the, I've, I've adopted a stance and I, three sets of words, and I want, you to, I want you to adopt them too. Number one is humility and repentance. Proverbs 16, 18 through 20 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit among the, along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Wow, that's a powerful scripture. Don't underestimate your heart posture as we're going through this. Don't underestimate what God wants from you. He wants humility. It is humility that leads to repentance. It is, the, it is the idea that repentance is one of the most positive words in the whole Bible. I've spent 10 years talking to one chapel trying to convince you that you, this is so positive. Repentance is such a good thing. But you got to be willing. you got to be ready for it. And when it dawns on you, you've got to be willing to repent. I want to repent to you this morning. I want to repent for not leading our church in a greater way, in a better way, into a more intentional and meaningful direction to address the underlying racial tensions that we have felt in our country, in our, in our culture, in our nation. I, I repent for not leading us better before this moment. It's not the first time I've wrestled with race relations. In fact, our church staff has had lots of dialogue over the last few years. Over the last few years, trying to come to terms with what we should do and what our responsibility is. But the conversations, I, I confess to you, have been sporadic and they've lacked follow through. And we haven't worked hard enough at equality and justice for oppressed people. We haven't gotten our hands dirty enough and I've hesitated in some ways because of my own weaknesses, my own fears, my past trauma, all kinds of things that some of you are aware of and I just repent of that. I think we have to move forward with action and conversation and that's risky. So that's why number two is so important, is you and I have to, especially if you're white, if you're a white person, and that's for lack of a better term, but a white person in this moment where racial reconciliation should be part of our goal, the first thing I'm going to do and the first thing I want you to do is listen and learn. 
listening and learning. James 1, 19 through 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Oh, one chapel, hear me now in all humility. I'm going to do my best to listen. I'm not going to start a brand new series on race and, and charge into it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to go low on this thing. And I'm going to learn and I'm going to recommend some things that I want you to do with me. And you and I need to read. We need to listen to other people. We need to allow the stories to seep into us. Listen, I, I have... I have really internally sort of understood this for a few years now. But I just didn't know how to push it forward, push this, these ideas forward in our church. Or I'd get distracted. But just a few years ago, a young Latino man, I sat across from him at a coffee shop and we were having this discussion about race and the struggle he was in and the struggle that I was in trying to figure out the role of one chapel. And he just, he was, we were kind of working through it and there was tension. And I just sat down with him. I said, listen, I want to, I want to hear everything you have to say. I want to hear every perspective you have. And it took time and energy and along the way and and I rem I'll never forget, it, it happened in a moment at that coffee shop. He said, Pastor Ross, it's, the problem is you've just never been rejected on an employment application because they saw your last name. You've never had that rejection without even being seen. And it's at that moment that the light came on for me and I realized, that's true. I never, I've never had to go through that. It opened up a whole new level of understanding and willingness to open my heart and mind. So here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you and I to educate ourselves, read some books. I'm going to recommend them here in a second. Actions, then words. <laughs> Number three is actions, then words. It's usually said, Actions, not words. But I think you got to have words too. They just have to be in the right order. We need words. I, I'm in charge of an organization. I need to speak up. I'm in charge of an organization. I need to let my voice be heard and so do you. But just if you're a person who looks like me, then just be careful. Let's be so careful with our words. Let's make sure we're committed to conversations and not arguments, committed to uh, represent Jesus first. Jesus always being attentive to those who are hurting and, and broken and oppressed and marginalized. So here's our next steps as a church. Here's what I want to commit to you. Number one, we're going to be working, we're going to be working towards long-term change, not just short-term impact. We're not going to knee-jerk. Change is hard and it takes time. Discipleship is a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. We're going to have to be discipled in this journey of how to live out reconciliation in the race discussion. And I don't want to just pacify the Twitter mob at the moment. I, I want, it's, what's so important is not what we say now. What's really important is what we're saying in six months or a year or five years. 
So I commit to you that we're looking at, that's how we're going to treat this thing. Number two, we'll be working on forming, um, for lack of a better term, a diversity team to tackle the essential conversations and actions we need to take on in the coming months. And I think that team is already starting to form and there's, there's going to be real and honest conversations that we're going to have and then we're going to take those conversations more public. We'll have guest speakers and panel discussions. We're, we're, we're going to commit long-term to that because I think it's so important. It's an area of the Bible that needs to be more emphasized at one chapel. We're going to start something called Be the Bridge Groups from our church. And that leads me to my third action. I want to recommend some valuable resources for our church. Be the Bridge is a book by Latasha Morrison, and I'm reading it now. It is fantastic. It's so helpful. Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. I want you to check that out. There's a whole Facebook group devoted to this discussion and I, 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 that's a whole process you have to go through to be involved in that. But I, I want you to look at that material. I want you to start reading it. The second thing I want you to look at is, I'm going to recommend to you is Dr. Anita Phillips had a Facebook interview with Christine Kane. And it was so helpful for me in my journey and my process and, and just looking at a holistic approach and understanding. And she, she identifies what's called a trauma-informed approach. To a, to a group of people that have experienced being violated. It's a fascinating discussion. She's an expert in the mental health field. She's doing lots of research. I just want you to, we'll make sure that link is in the comments section here and it'll be on, online at onechapel.com. The third option by, by Miles McPherson is another book that I think is so helpful. The third option by Miles McPherson who is a pastor who's got a lot of great things to say about this conversation. And so I've gone on too long here. I feel like I've talked too much, but I needed to say these things. I needed to quote the scripture. I needed to be able to set the stage for how we're going to move forward. And if some of what I've said really frustrates you and angers you, I certainly welcome your feedback. This is a time for us to have real dialogue. If some of what I've said has just comforted you and, and, and helped you, great. I'd love to hear that too. <laughs> if you're not sure and you're kind of like, oh, Pastor Ross, I, I love what you're saying, but I don't trust you. I want you to know I get it. I want you to know I understand. I'm going to do my best to be a pastor who's going to work towards racial reconciliation and racial restoration from here on out. And so I want you to join me. Let's sign up together. The picture of heaven in Revelation is every tribe and language and people and nation, every race and color, every person on the planet joining together in worshiping God, being redeemed from the curse of what we've lived in in humanity. Listen, we're supposed to bring that picture to earth, heaven to earth. Would you join me? Let's do this together. I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would give me 
give us, give us as a church family the grace to charge ahead, but to be wise, to be willing to listen before we speak, to be really interested in understanding instead of accusing. Oh God, have mercy on us. Help us discover where we've been blind, where we've missed it, where we haven't understood. Help us, Lord, to be the people who will reconcile the world to you and reconcile brother to brother, sister to sister, father to son and mother to daughter. Lord, we pray that we would be these people in the earth and we would be willing in every way, surrendered in every way to you and to your purpose. Father, we ask you to forgive us for missing the mark. We ask you to heal our hearts. We ask you to have mercy on us as we move forward and then help us chart a course that will please you and that will bring heaven's ideas to earth. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, if God's doing something really deep and meaningful in your heart and you just ended up here and you're watching this message, but you just, you're either far from God because you've really never had a relationship with Him or maybe it's just been a long time. If you want to get connected to God and to this body of believers, I want you to fill out that little connection card there in the comments section. All right? Just do that. Make sure that you connect there It'll take you just a few moments if you haven't done it. And somebody will walk with you because no one can do it alone. None of us can walk this journey of faith by ourselves. We need each other. All right. I love you, One Chapel. I believe in where we're headed. And I appreciate, I, I'm so grateful for what God has called us to do in this region and in this city. Let's go for it together.